0: Today, on episode number 317 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, Laura Horn from Active Minds joins me to talk about mental health on the college campus. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Today's guest, Laura Horn, joins me from Active Minds, the nation's premier nonprofit organization supporting mental health awareness and education for young adults. They have a presence on over 800 college, university, and high school campuses nationwide. And earlier this year, Active Minds and AQ published a report creating a culture of caring practical approaches for college and university faculty to support student well-being and mental health. Many of you who have been listening for a while are familiar with AQ already. They are the Association of College and University Educators, and they connect me with guests on most months, And they've got courses and a community site that feature many of Teaching and Learning's top experts, faculty, developers, and practitioners. Laura Horn develops innovative strategies and unique partnerships to empower students to help schools and society embrace a comprehensive public health approach to mental health. Prior to Active Minds, Laura led public health initiatives at the National Association of County and City Health Officials, and Tulane University. Laura earned her Master of Public Health degree in Community Health Sciences from Tulane University and her Bachelor of Arts degree in Communications from Loyola University, New Orleans. She enjoys running, reading, finding adventure with her husband and three girls, and following the Washington Nationals and New Orleans Saints. Laura works from Philadelphia. Laura, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. I was so glad to be connected with you via aq and in fact as soon as i saw the resource that they sent over that you had worked on with their organization i was like yep want to talk to her when can i talk to her <laughs> and i'm just so grateful to have this conversation with you today
1: oh, thank you bonnie i'm so grateful to be here and we are very very proud of the resource one of the things that i think is so unique about it is that there are recommendations from students so we know they're going to be helpful and also approved by faculty, so we also know they're going to be realistic. So really excited to talk about them with you.
0: Before we get into the four recommendations from that report, I want to just back a step up and hear from you as a professional. What are some of the myths that you see really being pervasive that get us in the way of learning what we ought to learn about mental health issues?
1: Yeah, and I so appreciate this question. I think a couple things. One, I don't think that we really always realize how common mental health issues are. We know that one in three students meet criteria for a diagnosable mental illness. So it's very common. It's about 7 million students nationwide. And then additionally, you know, if you think about it, we all have mental health challenges in our lives. Mental health exists on a spectrum. And I think one of those myths is that when we talk about mental health, we're talking about only students who have a clinical mental health problem. But what we're really thinking about is students who are challenged in their everyday with mental health issues. And also that, you know, people who experience mental health issue can live very healthy, happy, productive lives. Sometimes we have these images of, of someone who has a mental health issue as someone who is not like us, someone we don't know, you know, someone who might be Um, an institution, whatever we think of when we think of an institution, or not able to hold down a job or to, you know, do well in school. But, you know, actually, you know, what I always like to tell students, especially is if you're in a classroom sitting by three people, you know, at least one of those three people statistically is living with a mental health issue and most likely able to do, you know, all the things that, that you would do to succeed in school and in life.
0: When I used to work at the University of California, Irvine, I had the opportunity to work on some video series that we did on mental health, and it was across the campus. And it was really a great educational experience for me. And I got introduced to a couple of professors who were married and they taught at that time in the history department. And they really echo some of the things that you just talked about. And I was so grateful for that, that I Because I think I used to think of it in a really binary way. I just didn't have any exposure to it. And to know that, just like you said, that I will be affected in my lifetime. How could you not be, you know, by challenges with my own mental health and then also that other people that are like me (laughs) will be too. And Mm -hmm. there's such a stigma around it so much of the time. And it's nice when we can release that and recognize these are issues that we all face, of course, to differing degrees and in differing ways. But then it doesn't have to feel so scary to talk about it. It doesn't have to feel so scary when you're experiencing it. I'm thinking about early on in the pandemic. So this would be... least here in the United States, I'm thinking specifically probably March, but days are really mysterious to me. (laughs) So time, time frames right now. But you know, talking to friends, it was scary for me because I would have a pain in my chest. And I was not used to experiencing pains in my chest. I mean, it's just that's not usually my reactions to stress would show up more in my neck and my shoulders and that kind of thing. So it was really that felt super scary to me, like, oh, my gosh, what what's happening to my body right now that feels very outside of my control. And then to talk to other colleagues and other people who would describe that same pain in their chest and to go, oh, gosh, this is a normal physical response to severe stress that so many of us encountered in that time. Yes.
1: You know, I'm thinking so much about students and faculty and people in general during this pandemic. You know, this is a crisis for all of us. And I think so many people are experiencing what you just shared for the first time, perhaps, Mm -hmm. during a pandemic. And I think when we can take that non-binary approach to mental health then when we're experiencing challenges ourselves, like you said, it's less scary. We can give ourselves more grace and more space to think about that and to hopefully, you know, if we need to, to seek help without feeling like we're not being true to ourselves, you know, or I think a lot of students in particular, if they're experiencing, you know, mental health issue for the first time right now might be thinking, this isn't me. What's going on? You know, this isn't me. And actually, you know, no, this is a part of life for a lot of people. And whether you have a mental illness, or you're just going through a period of time where you're struggling, I think we all have some degree of personal experience with what it's like to struggle emotionally.
0: You mentioned one in three will meet the criteria for struggling with mental health issues during college. And are there any diagnoses that show up that we really want to be familiar with vocabulary before we start talking about these four recommendations.
1: Sure. Yeah. We we see right now, even before the pandemic, that anxiety and depression have particularly been on the rise among college students and, and high school students as well. Actually, I think we still have a lot to learn in terms of why that might be. But I do think we see often, you know, among our young adults that the world that they're living in right now is very challenging. And a lot of it, we are still learning about as they are experiencing it. There are guinea pigs in a way for things like smartphones, social media. There's so many societal issues. I mean, even right now if talk about racism and police brutality and all these different things on top of a pandemic, I think young adults are growing up in a very unique, challenging world, interfacing with things that we are still learning about and don't quite know what the, the mental health implications truly are. And I think we're seeing that reflected in the data. And and that's one of the things I would put out there, you know, first and foremost, is that if we are hearing more from our students that they're struggling, that's likely because more and more students are struggling. (laughs) We're seeing that year to year. So it's, it's a problem. It's a serious problem and one that I hope will become even more prioritized for campuses nationwide.
0: The first thing that we want to be able to do as faculty is to normalize the need for help. How do we go about doing that, Laura?
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things that I loved hearing from our students when we first started to work on this guide together was that the first thing and the most important thing that they really value from faculty members is approachability. You know, we heard from our students that next to friends or the counseling center on campus, they most want to go to professors and academic advisors when they're struggling. But over 60% of those same students said they don't yet feel comfortable doing so. So there's something there that's lacking in terms of approachability and maybe even permission for students to feel like they can go to their professors and their academic advisors for issues that are impacting their academics, even if it's not related to their grades, even if it's just, you know, everyday stress. So. A couple of things that we, we recommend for faculty to communicate approachability are very simple things that we think could be done tomorrow even. You know, one of the things that I love that I'm seeing a lot of faculty do right now or in the spring semester during the pandemic was allowing some space to just check in on your students and ask how they're doing before jumping into the lesson. And I think as our society, you know, we, we often ask, how are you, as less of a serious question and more of a greeting you know, it's, it's almost like getting that small talk out of the way before we can really get down to business. And what I think students would really value is knowing that their faculty will allow them to, to talk about, you know, what is impacting them on a, on a day-to-day, if anything, so that they can have that moment and then really engage with lessons. And so I, I think that's an important piece, especially as we're having, you know, national conversations around challenging issues, to not be afraid to provide space for that, and and ultimately, I think our students will be better equipped to learn and engage with the content if we can do that together.
0: So many times, the questions that we ask, and this is a very—I mean, I can only speak to it being a very American thing. I'm sure this is the case in other cultures too. But that thing of like, "Oh, Laura, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. How are you?" And it's like, "I'm actually not fine." <laughs> like that—that's a. It's just that we're programmed. That's the the cultural programming that so many of us have and so for me this ends up when we ask our students questions like that it ends up being more like a rhetorical question unless mm-hmm. we treat it with some ability to really slow ourselves down and so i'm i'm going to link actually to a really early episode in the podcast but i talk uh, with my husband dave about the 8 second rule and then if you're going to ask a question and you actually want to leave the space for people to respond, to get in the habit of counting in your head, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, and so on. People will know how to count to eight, but that's actually feels like an eternity when you're trying it out for the first times, but you'd really be surprised how that uncomfortable silence can actually build a bridge for people to have uncomfortable conversations. And the other thing that I try to do too, you were mentioning in terms of the renewed fight for civil rights in our country. I have not been teaching during this particular season of it, but I certainly have in past classes. And sometimes what I'll try to remember is that for some of my students, this is very central to their lived experience. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about it with their families and they're hearing about it in all these spaces and places and they're carrying it with them. But for other students, they will have no idea what we're talking about. So I'm thinking about not, again, the most recent one, but sadly, there have been others where Mm. uh, there's a shooting of an unarmed black man. And then to come into a classroom and just be ready to enter into a space of like, what are you hearing about in the news to just check in? And then that way, students who haven't heard anything about it don't have to be alienated to be like, what on earth are they even talking about? But then it does kind of open up that space. And the other thing, too, that you were talking about, and we want to normalize the need for help seeking behaviors, both as individuals. And sometimes that's harder to do because we don't know. But then um, sometimes it's happening. And you do know that many people have been affected. We sadly had a, a while ago, one of our students who was taking a break from school passed away. And so it was one where an entire group of our students, an entire group of majors, I teach at a relatively small school, so probably 30 students who were directly knew this person and friends. And in fact, one of the people in my class was his girlfriend. And so I knew this is something that has touched the lives of 40% of this class that I'm meeting with today. And then just to have those, um, and actually we'll talk about that a little bit later too, because it's not just normalizing the need for help, but there's some other strategies that we were able to use as a community too that I really appreciated.
1: Absolutely. And you know, another thing that I've really appreciated seeing during the pandemic, our faculty sharing what the pandemic has been like for them. And I think in a way we can model for our students the kind of responses we're hoping for beyond I'm fine or I'm good, by being willing to share and be vulnerable a little bit ourselves, because this is something that has impacted all of us. And then where appropriate, sharing stories about setbacks and rejection, failure, especially if you are an academic advisor and you're mentoring a student, I think being able to share beyond the highlight reel, as we say, and normalizing setbacks as part of the journey I think also helps normalize the need for help. Yeah. And then the other thing that we we suggest that we've found is helpful is sharing at the beginning of your class, at the beginning of the semester, that your students can talk to you if they're struggling for any reason, putting that in your syllabus also. And our guide has a recommended syllabus statement that makes it very easy. You can just plug in the counseling service phone number into that statement and then copy and paste it. There and referring back to it through the semester, I think helps because often our, our syllabi will give students resources for tutoring or academic support, but really calling out that we're beginning a semester together, you're going to run into academic challenges, but you might also struggle emotionally and if you are and it's impacting your work. I hope you'll feel free to come to me, but also, you know, hear counseling services available as well and just normalizing that because it is normal and we want to bring that more on the open so that students know they're not alone and feel like that's okay for them to seek help when they need it.
0: The second recommendation you have for us is to actively listen and you've got a good three-step process for us. And I realize we sort of bounce back and forth between these these stages, but we want to be actively listening with validate, appreciate and REFER. Tell us a little bit about this recommendation. Sure.
1: VAR, as we call it, Validate, Appreciate, Refer, is a tool that was actually created by students at UCLA. And and what they were finding was um, they were taking standard suicide prevention trainings, which were helpful for when you are encountering another student in a crisis moment. But often what they found is they were trying to help their peers just navigate everyday challenges, and they really needed a quick, three-step tool to use in those kinds of conversations to know what to say. And we find that with faculty too, that they often just want to know how to respond appropriately when a student is struggling, and then also have a sense of what their role is in, in supporting their students. So validate is, you know, just validating that what the student is expressing to you is challenging. It does sound difficult. You know, that is something that so many of us struggle with, or I'm sorry you're going through that is a great validation. We have a graphic that kind of crosses out, you know, sayings that we we would normally say when someone's struggling. And at the very end, it's just, I believe you. And that's a big piece of it. You know, especially as faculty, I think we can sometimes worry that if we give any flexibility, that students might take advantage of that unnecessarily. And I think like a great basis for a conversation is just, Um, communicating to a student that you believe them that you know that it took courage for them to ask for what they want and what they need to do well in this class and so just validating that and then that moves into the next step which is appreciating that it took them courage to do that and thanking them for coming to you so often we want to go right to a solution we want to fix the problem and what we're really trying to help faculty do is just relieve that burden of feeling like you have to solve students mental health issues and what you're really there for is to be a helper, to validate them, appreciate that it took them courage to come to you, and then refer them to appropriate resources. So in order to be a great referral, you know, we really need to understand some level what resources are available, even having a cheat sheet like the one that's in our guide printed out so that you can refer to it or give it to a student when needed to kind of point them to the right resources and not feel like you have to play that role of a clinician or a resource in and of yourself.
0: One of the themes that you're introducing here, I mean, you're not introducing it for the first time on this podcast, certainly, but I want to just draw people's attention to you echoing what's been said so many times on this podcast, and that is we need to trust our students. And so many of us, I described my experience working at University of California, Irvine and meeting those history professors. Those helped me uncover some real biases that I had that, I mean, just... I was completely uneducated. And we need to recognize that we all are still very much uneducated about certain aspects of our teaching. And this might be one of them for you. If you find that you're having difficulty believing your students that are struggling with anxiety, with depression, it's quite likely you yourself have probably never experienced clinical levels of anxiety or depression and need to get an, a, some sort of an education. And I know, Laura, one of the things right. you want to warn us about, it's not like I have to go get my PhD in, in this, but right. we've got to name those biases that are preventing us from believing our students. When you were talking earlier about this, I was just reflecting back that we were taking a, oh, one of the students in my classes had asked me if she could speak with me. And I think we were texting. I use this service called Remind that lets them, right. you know, send me a text message and all that. And I think she'd said she wanted to talk before class and then we didn't touch base. And then all of a sudden she was like next to me at the at the break or whatever. And she started getting, we, we went to a private, a private place that wasn't in the classroom, but she started getting teary eyed. And her mom was in the hospital with her grandmother as she was passing away. And she's like, could I leave 15 minutes early so that I could go be with my mom I just want to be with my mom and I was looking at her like I just I felt so sad and I get sad just the, remembering this that like I'm like looking at my watch what are you talking about Lee and I gave her a hug you know this is post post um <laughs> physical distancing I'm glad to report but right. I I was just like no, no you can't leave 15 minutes before class go now go and be with no. your mom I, I mean I just but it saddened me to think as approachable as I am, that she still felt like she had to stay, you know, that just, so to me, it it represents even more if we're going to error on any side, error on the side of trusting them. Cause yeah, Mm -hmm. you might, you might occasionally find that you get duped. You know what? I would so much rather be duped on occasion. Like what does that cost me if I'm duped? Right. on these issues versus if i believe them and that's been right. for me just an ongoing growth process that i never want to finish because i know i still have so much learning to do and so much work to do but this is just so important what you said i believe you and then you also mentioned i also believe i am not a trained psychotherapist so i want to listen <laughs> right. i want to show my care for you and part of my showing my care for you is to refer you to people that really are equipped to to serve you in the ways that you need
1: Right. In so many instances, students really just need compassion, empathy, and validation. And, you know, I don't want to keep going back to the pandemic, but, you know, we did a national student survey at Active Minds of students and what they were experiencing in April, you know, right after the the pandemic. And it was interesting when we asked what their stressors were, the main stressor was not really knowing for sure what their university thought about what the pandemic experience was like for students. Many students said, you know, this hasn't been a vacation for me. It hasn't suddenly gotten easier for me to do my studies. This has been an adjustment. And I really want to hear from my college leaders and my professors that they understand that this is um, difficult and challenging. And and I want to know, you know, what flexibility or accommodations might be available to me if I need them. But I think in most cases, students just want great communication. They want to hear reflected back to them that your professor understands um, what you're going through and to the degree that's possible, there may be some flexibility available, but, but mostly they just want to know that, that you understand those soft skills are really what young adults really are looking for from their leadership.
0: The next recommendation you have for us is to embed courses with well-being practices. Yes.
1: So, you know, we have heard from several universities and colleges that are, are going to great trouble to embed well-being into courses. Um, some of this might be, you know, offering special modules that faculty can lean upon, integrate into their classes if they'd like to, to teach their students about mental health and well-being as part of the academic experience. But I also think this can be done at very actionable, small ways. For example, you know, we suggest setting deadlines at reasonable times of day. This is another one by default. Somehow as our society, we've decided to often set deadlines at midnight. And, you know, I think sleep is such a core part of positive mental health for all of us, but especially students. So if we can set a deadline that still allows students or encourages them at least to get sleep um, at a reasonable hour, that could go a long way. And and often when I say that, faculty will ask, well, what is the right time of day? And what we'll say is, you know, it it really doesn't matter. It could be, you know, 10 a.m., 5 p.m., as long as we are telling our students with enough notice. And I know so many do through their syllabus when the deadlines are for assignments. Then as long as we're doing that, you know, we just want to make sure that, as much as possible we can prevent students from pulling all nighters and kind of denormalize all nighters as a part of the college experience if we can so that students can get the sleep that they need other things are you know assigning self care as homework and then the other thing that i love to tell professors in case they don't know is that your counseling center your wellness center or peer health educators on your campus, often have workshops that are ready to go. And if you need to cancel a class for any reason, we encourage you to instead, you know, reach out to your wellness center and see if the student peer educators can come and give a session to your class about self care or, you know, sleep or well being as part of um, academics.
0: That's a great idea. I teach a class where we use one of the books that we read is the seven habits of highly effective people. And the last chapter, the last habit is about sharpen the saw. And oh, nice. part of sharpening the saw is that we are taking care of our bodies of our minds, and, and that that we're able to be more equipped, you know, if we're not sleeping enough, if we're not exercising, and, and all the great stress reduction benefits that it can bring and I, didn't, I had never really contemplated that that could be an opportunity to bring in that part of our campus. I, I love just that you just sparked that idea for me, and I hope that other people listening are thinking about that too. One other thing that I'm looking at as far as the response to the pandemic, I am really emphasizing for the fall, just being as flexible as we can be in our teaching. So I'm kind of planning it, the opposite of how I've taught some of these classes, and that is just planning if it was all online, and then building back in the opportunities to be in person. So one of the things I'm gonna miss about that, but I'm, I'm already thinking about ways to replace it, is we we have a wonderful place called Back Bay, where we'll often go and take a walk together as a class. I mean, we wow. separate, but then we come back together. So they're physically moving their bodies as they're listening to a podcast and they walk out listening to it and they walk back talking with one or two others from the class about what they took away from it. And then we all sort of gather back together. But I think we can still do that through the modern miracles of technology where yeah. we, you know, if there can be an option where people do it together. So let's, you know, we're going to do it during our normal class time. Find somewhere where you can be to move your body and put, you know, put your headphones in and everything, but then also give the option to those people who are unable to be there that they could plug back in. In fact, um, someone named Sean Michael Morris, who has been on the podcast many times before he coined this term synchronous. So the walk would be the podcast listening (laughs) walk would be synchronous because we'd all do it at the same time. But then the ish part (laughs) synchronous would be if you couldn't make that walk then can you plug in with a discussion board or a hashtag or something like that that would allow everybody to participate even if they couldn't be there at the same time
1: oh I love that you know one because I think so much of this the uncertainty we still have about the fall can be paralyzing yeah might not know exactly how to plan and I love your approach of assuming virtual and then building on that and giving students different options for engaging with the content I think You know, often we think about, okay, now I'm learning. Oh, okay, and now I'm gonna stop learning and now I'm gonna take care of my mental health. And, you know, learning is curiosity. It's relational, it's alive, you know, and how can we do these things together as part of the journey? I think, I love the example that you shared and I hope that, I I think so much of that has been prevalent during the pandemic because we've had to, you know, it's been undeniable how, The pandemic has impacted both our mental health and our learning and our teaching at the same time. And I hope that's one thing that I hope we'll we'll live on beyond the pandemic is being more relational and on this journey together as a shared experience when we're in the classroom together.
0: Yeah. And I so appreciate what you said, too, about this. We're in this together. And just to compound this even more, on top of a pandemic, we're also dealing with some raw hundreds of years, I mean, since the the founding of our country um, of issues around race. And so we need to also recognize that coming back in the fall, it isn't going to be a feeling universally of we're all in this together. So really trying to prepare ourselves for we're all in this together yet I realize you're not all feeling like we're all in this together and it's going to be a wild thing. And I'm so glad that, you know, today's conversation can help to start to equip us. And I know the last recommendation you have is to practice self-care and seek resources when needed. So this is not just about our students, but recognizing we also need to normalize help seeking behaviors for ourselves as well. What recommendations do you have for us around this?
1: Yeah, I think that's great. You know, When I think about some of the barriers that probably exist for faculty when supporting student mental health, is that I think so much of our history in higher ed is thinking about professors as facilitators and providers, but not necessarily as beneficiaries or equal members of this community that we're building together. And you know what I'm hoping to see in the future is that we will equally prioritize faculty mental health and well being. That we will invite faculty into this conversation. That young adults all know about. I mean, young adults are not afraid to talk about their mental health. They're not afraid to seek help when they need it. And I think that's amazing that we've been able to support our young adults in that way and and change the tide with new generations coming through. But I think in order to really create a full, healthy community, everybody plays a role, as we just demonstrated, and everybody has to be a part of it. And it's that old saying of you have to put your, your own oxygen mask on first before you can assist others. And it's just practical that if faculty are burdened by their own lives or the their own responsibilities, then it's really hard for them to be available for students in that way. And so, you know, we are encouraging, again, faculty to remove the burden of feeling like they need to fix all students' mental health issues and know that it's okay to not always be available. You're not a 24-hour help desk. You're there to, you know, communicate through the different strategies we provided that you're an approachable person that they can come to when they're struggling. You're there to check in on them, knowing that in order for them to succeed academically, they also need support emotionally to some degree. But otherwise, you know, I encourage faculty to set boundaries, to say no when needed. It's, It's possible to say yes and no from the heart, you know, we can still show care for our, for our students, even while we're doing what we need to take care of ourselves and set boundaries and know where our role is and where it isn't. Um, so prioritizing our own well-being in the same way that we're encouraging students to do so and modeling that for them. We say, you know, take a 10-minute sabbatical every day, at least, you know, um, when you can to connect with the world beyond yourself and your work. And then exploring, you know, what your campus may offer you as a faculty member to prioritize your mental health. And we're also, you know, advocating for colleges and universities to equally prioritize faculty mental health and think about what we can offer them as equal members of this community who will also have a big role to play in supporting our students academically.
0: When I speak to my students and try to do all four of these recommendations, I will sometimes talk about real small self-care things. You you mentioned the 10-minute sabbatical. I am a huge fan. Thank you, mom, for (laughs) the 10-minute walk, getting outside during the day. We get those endorphins going. We also get that great vitamin D. And so to talk to students about me doing that and then also just encouraging them, you know, and, and that's been something that's been so helpful to me in my life, but I immediately follow it up with, please don't misunderstand me. 10-minute walks are really, really helpful, but sometimes we need more than that. And so let's remember we have a counseling center. Let's remember how important that is to our well-being and just to be continually normalizing that. When my husband was in college, he suffered from clinical depression, and he's very open about telling that story. He's very much wanting to reduce Mm -hmm. the stigma of that, and he'll regularly talk about it with students. So I always feel free to share his story. I don't tell it as well as he does. It's much more powerful. coming directly from him but I think especially and you didn't mention this but especially it would seem the stigma is even greater for men seeking counseling services and I just think it's helpful for them to know we all are going to need these things at different parts in our life and and you mentioned the oxygen mask the one that I always do if you broke your arm would you go see a doctor well (laughs) sometimes we need to go see a different kind of doctor and our arms are broken and we need to get that that help and trying to normalize that. Yeah. Asking for help is a sign of strength and it's,
1: it's necessary. It's part of the journey for everyone, whether you see it or not. So again, all about normalizing that and modeling it for our students as we can.
0: This is the time in the show where we each get to share our recommendations and I actually changed mine, Laura. So oh, no. I, I, ended up, <laughs> I ended up joining the, I'm a, I'm a lurker. I've never posted anything there, but there's a, a video service called TikTok. And I have just come across a couple of comedians that I will link to in the show notes because of course, since I changed in the middle of our conversation, I can't remember either of their names. But anyway, one of them is a guy who you started talking about sharing what the pandemic has been like for us. And mm-hmm. so the funniest one that I've seen around this is just his he he looks through his entire history of like what it was like in the beginning and you and you oh. sort of joked about that <laughs> you know this hasn't been a vacation for our students so he's in the beginning like whoa you mean I don't have to go to work? And he's like, all oh, like, woo. And, and then his, over the time of the video, they're not that long. I mean, the whole thing about TikTok is they're short videos. And so yeah. his hair just goes from being so meticulously groomed and he's a, you know, handsome guy. And, and then all of a sudden at the end, he's completely <laughs> disheveled. And he does start making reference to some of the conspiracy theories that have come up around the pandemic as well. And they are very um racially inflammatory conspiracy theories that I think we both yeah. have to fight against, but also occasionally need yeah. to laugh at, at their absurdity. Yeah. So oh, it's a, oh. it's really one worth watching. Um, so I'm gonna post a link to that. And a second one of his that I'll link to as well, which is has nothing to do with anything we were just talking about, but everything to do with when you go to those websites, and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this word right, CAPTCHA, I think. It's the, the thing that says oh, right. that you're mm-hmm. actually a real person. Okay, first of all, I cannot when it's like, click on the things that have street signs, and I'm like, "I, I know. Can't. Why did make it so hard? I know. I I the same feel, way. I feel more than half the times on that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he has a little comedic bit where it's like, click on this to prove you're not a robot, and he clicks on it and he's actually a robot. So it just, <laughs> it just tickles my funny bone to no end. And the second TikTok comedian that I want to recommend is all over the news. So people probably have already heard of her. But if you haven't, stop everything right now. Her name is Sarah Cooper, and she has been lip syncing some of the things that are happening around the pandemic. Most of her lip syncs are around Trump and things that he says, although she does other people as well. And she plays all the different characters that show up in these different clips and She is absolutely a hoot. And now I'm just convinced that that's all I want to hear is just from her. (laughs) I don't want to hear directly from the source. I just want to hear from her. She is an absolute treat. (laughs) A wonderful, wonderful thing. I did want to mention something. I I held off from joining TikTok forever and a day because I did not need another social network. So two things. One is it is possible to just join it and be like me and never... You know, contribute anything to it. There's nothing wrong with that. But secondarily, if you do get a link like the ones I'll post in the show notes, you don't have to belong to it. So you could just click that link and go watch the video and never even join the service, which is also a wonderful way to take in the video. So I'll post some of my favorites of hers on the recommendations for today's episode. And Laura, I get to pass it over to you Mm -hmm. for yours. Well, I can't wait to see those. First of
1: all, I'm a big TikTok fan too, but only recently. So, and what I love are the cooking shows on oh, TikTok. I have not seen. Oh any. my gosh, I haven't seen any. I'm addicted to them. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but you feel like you've eaten a meal. It's just. <laughs> I mean, it's just great. Um, that wasn't what my recommendation is going to be. My recommendation was going to be a book that many probably have heard of, but it keeps coming to mind to me during this time, and it's Brené Brown's Dare to Lead, and you know, as I'm leading a team, when I'm thinking about what faculty can do to support students, what comes to mind for me in both cases over and over again is is Brene's model of just courageous, vulnerable leadership. You know, not being afraid to address the questions and the elephants in the room, making space for those conversations, leaning into hard conversations and not being afraid to rumble, as she says. You know, instead of shutting down or armoring up, you know, come to conversations with curiosity, ask questions. And that's been such a key for me to try to listen more rather than speak or spar, you know, during conversations, but to turn it around and ask a question has been a total game changer and maintaining a tone that allows, you know, two people or more to have a really difficult, challenging conversation in a productive way. It also talks a lot about valuing soft skills and talks so much about young people and how they want to see those skills model among their leaders. So, to me it's just a book that has been around for for a while but is just so so powerful and needed right now. She also has an amazing podcast out called Unlocking Us which has been great self-care for me. She she has amazing guests. The conversations are very accessible and fun to listen to. So and then and then the other one I would mention I just finished watching a Hulu show called Mrs America. And it follows the feminist movement and the history of the Equal Rights Amendment. And uh, it's just been really inspiring. It really dives deep into the stories of women who were fighting at that time to see, you know, expansion of rights for women. So it's, it's really prompted in me a need to go and read more books about that era and the people involved in it. I've just really enjoyed it.
0: I've seen advertisements for it, but it you know scrolling through social media, so I never processed any. I had no idea what it was about. It sounds really good. Yeah, I highly <laughs> recommend it. Out. It's great. And that Unlocking Us podcast, I'm sort of you know I there's too many podcasts coming out right now, so I'm not as interested in the ones with celebrities as I am. Even the ones that were just her, I think, are some of the best. And yeah. there was one on over functioning and under functioning that I'll put in the main show notes for people that language for me was so important so important just to see that our responses to stress i can make the assumption that everyone's going to respond to stress like i do and in fact that is not true so having a language to use for you know this is and any of our strengths Mm -hmm. when the volume gets turned up too loud becomes our weakness. And so it's not like it's a bad thing where it starts. It's just when it gets amplified too much that it's getting in the way of our mental health. So I would strongly recommend that people check out that one. And, but again, I, celebrities, I'm like, Oh no, not as interested, you know? (laughs) um, Well, yeah. And she, she interviews a lot of
1: writers too, which is great to hear them kind of bond over their writing process and all different things. So, I, I would so have good. guessed you were a Brene fan. Oh, my year. gosh.
0: You were talking about the rumbles on the Dare to Lead. And that is, I forgot, that also is such a good language to have. Because yeah. yes. if you really want to yes. be able to bring a group of people together, whether it's as a teacher or whether it's as a leader, you're going to have to rumble.
1: Yes. And I would say we read that as a team at Active Minds, and it gave us a whole new lingo to share, Yeah, to just cut to the chase and, you know, have conversations where we can under, you know, just kind of ground each other with the same vocabulary and it's been amazing and, and life-changing. We also read seven habits together too. So oh, that I'm a big team. fan of, of reading books as a team to, to get through challenges together.
0: Oh, I'm so glad to know that. And what a pleasure it has been to be connected with you. It, I know it sounds so corny, but I just feel like I'm talking to an old friend, even though we just met. It's just a delightful conversation. And I'm so looking forward to getting this episode out into the world and for people to be able to learn. And I know both of us would be really interested in hearing what people have to say about the recommendations and their experiences too. So please, people get in touch.
1: I would really be interested in hearing what folks think and say about um, these recommendations. So, Bonnie, it's been great speaking with you too, and I appreciate so much that you allow me to come onto the podcast. And I look forward to seeing your TikTok. <laughs> great.
0: <laughs> Thanks once again to Laura Horn for joining me for today's episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. Thanks for these great recommendations on how we can all contribute to greater mental health on college campuses, including ourselves, normalizing the need for help, seeking behaviors, actively listening with validate, appreciate, and refer, Embed our courses with well-being practices and for ourselves. Practice self-care and seek resources when needed. I hope people will go over and check out the show notes for this episode. They'll be on teachinginhighered.com as well as within your podcast player. If you're listening via a podcast player, you can go over and access the report and the other resources that were mentioned and check out those recommendations as well. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time on Teaching in Higher Ed.